Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to a Brooke Owens fellow. Feel free to introduce yourself. So I'm Harriet. I'm a 2021 Brooke Owens Fellow and a senior in aerospace engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. That's quite the mouthful. What exactly is a Brooke Owens Fellow? What is the Brooke Owens Fellowship? Brooke Owens Fellowship is a fellowship for women and gender minorities um, in the aerospace industry. So it it doesn't necessarily have to be engineers. We also have um, people who are interested in the business side of um, aerospace industry engineering and the um, educational side as well. Um, so it's really a uh, fellowship started by some people who are hoping to support um, those women and gender minorities um, as they aspire to become leaders in the industry. Awesome. Well, congratulations. What's that process like? Is that something that you apply for? Or is it something that somebody has to nominate you for? Yeah, it's um, becoming increasingly popular. So you apply and then uh, if you become, you have to write a couple essays, a multimedia submission, and then um, the next step is to become a semifinalist uh, in which you do an interview with someone on the executive board or a past Brooke Owens fellow. Um, And then the next step as a finalist is you get matched up with host companies and then those host companies will interview you, see if you're a fit for their um, positions. And then um, ultimately if you and a company match up, uh, like you pick each other as number one, then you get a spot in their company and you get to intern with them for the summer. Some pretty amazing experience I'm gathering that you uh, gained from that. So let me jump back a little bit. A little bit about you. Where are you from originally? So I'm from Chicago. Um, so I go to school in Champaign, Illinois, which is just a couple hours south. Got it. Um, any sports or anything when you were in school, in high school and stuff? Yeah, I played uh, tennis in high school, and I was also a part of uh, the Model UN and uh, did a a bit of volunteering at the Children's Museum that was local to me, stuff like that. Got it. What were your favorite subjects in school? Honestly, when I started school, I was interested in math and science, but I was really bad at them. And so I really found myself loving uh, economics, um, my AP government class. Um, I took AP chemistry, and that was horrible. It was like the worst class I've ever taken. Um, But by the time I got to senior year, um, I took a pre-engineering class as well as um, AP Calculus, BC, and I really, you know, found my fit in those classes. I really loved um, actually being able to apply math to something fun. Um, In my engineering class, I built a trebuchet and an autonomous robot um, and a little crane, and it was just so much fun. (laughs) I can imagine that trebuchet could have uh, a lot of fun with that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you have any teachers that kind of influenced you in, in any way when you were younger? Um, definitely. When I was, um, so early on in high school, my dad really pushed me to um, get into the honors math track. Um, and I struggled a bit at first. And when I was in honors pre-calc, I had this teacher, her name is Mrs. Frakes. Um, and, you know, she said to me, Harriet, I don't know if you should take 
AP Calculus BC, which is Calculus 1 and 2 at the same time. Um, she's like, I see you struggling a little bit. I don't know. Um, maybe AP Calculus AB would be better. That's just Calculus 1. And I said, Mrs. Riggs, I really want to be an engineer, so I'm going to take Calculus BC. And she said, okay, just um, prove to me that, you know, you can do it if you want to do it. And um, I ended up taking the class, and she was my teacher again the next <laughs> year for AP Calculus BC. And my whole work ethic changed so much because that was my final year of high school, and I was really set on engineering at that point. And it became my favorite class, and I asked her questions all the time, met with her privately to get help, and I ended up getting an A-plus in the class, and it was such a, like, rewarding experience, and she was really there the whole time to kind of say, like, if you want to do this, you know, push yourself, and you can do it, and that really helped me. Sounded like she she believed in you. She gave you the, the parameters to, you know, give you the heads up of what to expect, and, and you drove and muddled your way through it. Congratulations on that. Yeah, I had a, a teacher in second grade. My, I loved science and I love history. And my second grade science teacher, Mrs. Tom, was one of the finalists to be one of the first teachers to go into space with that whole program. So I just dated myself a little bit with that. <laughs> um, but she had a, a phenomenal impact. She was such a sweet lady. She, even for a second grader to kind of grasp some, some pretty intelligent and, and big ideas... Um, she definitely had a way of conveying that. Where uh, did you have a, a favorite science aside? You know, I mean, there's there's a ton of different sciences that you can go into, um, and I'm giving your position in wanting to be an engineer. They're you're looking more for the physical sciences. Do you have a specific branch of that that you prefer to dive into, or is it kind of just everything that attracts you? Well. I can definitely say that <laughs> chemistry is not the side um, that is of interest to me, really. <laughs> I think that's um, uh, it's just too difficult for me to understand. But um, I really like um, kind of like flow classes, like my incompressible, my compressible flow classes. I've always found those interesting. Um, definitely more like on the math side of things, Um yeah, I'm trying to think of my favorite classes in uh, college. Um, I've taken, like, flight mechanics, which I really love, um, and orbital mechanics was definitely my favorite class of all time. Um, but I see them more as, like, math-based rather than than I see them as, like, a physics class. As somebody who is atrocious with math, <laughs> I'm a little jealous of that. Um, what what kind of things are covered in the, in the orbital sciences that you were talking about? Um, talking about like trajectories for satellites, um, doing like rendezvous, um, all that stuff that you think of when, uh, when you watch a movie like Interstellar and they're planning, you know, how to get around the planet and stuff like that, all that, like, it really is like movie stuff. Like when I'm sitting in class and listening to like the professor talk about, oh, we're going to like, we want a satellite to go in orbit around this planet um but it's gotta like do a flyby of another planet like it's just really amazing to think about we also talk about kind of um like the rocketry side of things a bit you know how much mass is needed um doing that mass budgeting with propellant um learning stuff like that very very big brain stuff <laughs> a lot of a lot of calculations and and, and speaking of movies are you a 
do you like the, I guess the the stretching of the truth for things to, you know, for the story purposes, or are you somebody that listens and watches movies and goes, well, that's not really how it's done. I think um, I think sometimes I while watching. Uh, you know, I start to get in that like mindset, like, oh, well, that's not right. Or I look at the math on the board and I'm like, that's <laughs> just really silly looking. Um, but uh, when I, I do really appreciate um, like an interstellar and other movies like um, First Man. I like when they stretch the truth a little because it gets people interested in the aerospace. Um, and I think those movies really help to show people like, this is what's cool about studying this kind of thing. Um, so I think it's really helpful for people to understand, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you know, sometimes people can seem to think like aerospace, a lot of people think aerospace is waste money. And I think those movies, even if they're stretching the truth, help, you know, show how Potential. exciting it is. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not one of those people. I, I firmly believe that we don't put enough money into our, our, our science programs. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it about the outer space that attracted you to, to wanting to work with, with NASA? So I think, well, it started when I was young, my grandparents who live in Australia, um, always sent me this magazine called the Australian sky. Um, so it's like an astronomy magazine. Um, and I'd look through it and see all these cool pictures. Um, and that's when I first realized, oh my goodness, the constellations in the Southern hemisphere are different. <laughs> Like, they're looking at a different night sky, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then my father bought me a telescope when I was 12 or 13, um, and when I saw Saturn through that telescope, um, and being able to see, you know, it looked like a cartoon image, seeing those rings around it, it was just truly amazing to me. Um, so I really got interested in the astronomy side of things, you know, looking out. I'd watch YouTube videos, of course, like what's out there, people speculating, um, learning about, like, how far we can see with our telescopes um, and satellites. Uh, and then when I took my pre-engineering class and I realized that I like to build things, I was like, well, aerospace engineering is perfect because I love space, and I think exploring space is the most exciting thing that we can be doing as humans. And this is how I can contribute with my love for building and making things. I I love that answer. I, I'm, I'm not as well traveled as you appear to be on your Instagram, <laughs> um, but I would love to get to Australia just and, and some of the more northern parts of the planet where you can get the get away from all the light pollution and really see the sky for the beautiful thing that it is. Yeah. Um, what kind of things have you done that you're able to expand upon a little bit um, under your fellowship? So uh, the fellowship has been like an incredible experience. Um, one thing that the fellowship offers in addition to internships is um, professional development. So they pair every fellow up with a mentor in the industry. And I was so extremely lucky that my mentor happened to be Pamela Melroy, who is the deputy administrator of NASA. So she has a lot of connections and was able to, you know, on our phone calls, I talked about how I want to go to grad school. She was able to introduce me to people at grad schools I'm interested in. Um, but the coolest thing was that I was working at Northrop Grumman for the summer, 
and Northrop Grumman um, handles these commercial resupply launches for NASA. So they um, use their Antares rocket to bring um, supplies up to the International Space Station. So usually in the summer, they have a launch. Um, and this past summer, they had their NG-16 launch, where they launched the Cygnus satellite up. Um, and uh, since I was working at Northrop Grumman, um, and Pamela Melroy is the deputy administrator of NASA, she was able to bring me to the launch. So it was the first rocket launch I ever went to. And it was just a glorious experience. Um, we were just a few miles away from the rocket and you could feel the ground shake. Um, and just, I cried <laughs> watching that rocket go up. Um, just knowing I was working for that company. I was sitting next to the Pamela, um, and just being able to see like, this is what aerospace is about. This is yeah. this feeling that I have while this rocket is going up is what I'm chasing after when I work on these projects. <laughs> I'm I'm actually heading on a family trip next year in July, and I'm hoping that in the time frame that we're either down there or near Florida when we are, that I can see a launch. I, I've always wanted to see a launch, and my kid uh, is 13. Anything that flies or floats, he's just enamored with it. I mean, he goes on these little tangents, and he he dive, does all these deep dives. It's the kid blows me away, um, but I think he would probably have a similar reaction to you <laughs> if he gets to see that. So I'm, I'm hoping that they get some things launched um, at the beginning of July next year. You were speaking about the commercial relaunches or, or resupplies rather. Um, have any of the things that you've done been a part of or in coordination with either Blue Origin or SpaceX? Um, no, I, so at NASA I worked on the space launch system, which as you know, it has yet to fly. Um, uh, then at Collins, I actually worked on commercial aircraft and military aircraft. So that was like a little separate experience. Um, and then at Northrop, I worked on uh, the mission robotic vehicle, which is a um, kind of in-orbit satellite servicing project. Um, so nothing I've worked on has like been up there yet. I did actually... <laughs> interview i got an offer from spacex uh to work on starlink but i ended up <laughs> rejecting it really so <laughs> is that because it uh contradicted your your path for further education and, and the direction you want to go to or is just kind of one of those things that it was a great opportunity but just not the right time for you so it was the offer was for software engineering and um I've worked on software a lot and I'm trying to get into a more operations role. So it was a really difficult decision, but I did just have a, another SpaceX interview for the launch um, and recovery team. And I'm really hoping that I get that <laughs> offer. So I'm, I've been anxiously checking my email every day because um, that would be like the dream. But, right. but yeah, the software, software is something that I love doing, but I've had a lot of experience and I'm trying to like, broaden my knowledge a bit what exactly uh, does a systems engineer do i mean it, it sounds kind of like a common sense that you have a, an idea just by the name but can you elaborate as to what a system engineer does for nasa so it's <laughs> systems engineer can do a lot of things of course there's um 
Well, when I was a systems engineer, I did model-based systems engineering. So I created diagrams to help engineers um, kind of like gain a, a more developed understanding of what the satellite is actually doing. Um, other systems engineers work on mass budgeting, um, mostly system. When you think of systems engineering, you think of requirements. Um, you know, a customer gives requirements for what they hope their um, satellite or rocket does. And then a systems engineer takes those requirements um, and makes it happen, essentially. Um, it's really broad term. There's some systems engineers work on the coding side, you know, handling um, those software requirements, software testing and verification, um, which is what I did at NASA was software testing verification. And then um, there's the other side that's like model-based systems engineering, creating those diagrams, like I said. Um, so it's really broad. Um, I think you can do a lot of different things. Um, my Yeah, so I've been... I was a systems engineer for one summer, and then the other two summers I was um, software engineering. You um, referred a little earlier to the family environment of, of NASA and things like that. Can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, everyone – one of the biggest things I like about aerospace is that it's kind of a small community when you think about it. Um, everyone really knows everyone, um, and uh, – Everyone is in aerospace because they're passionate about aerospace. You know, anyone can study software engineering and work at any random company and do coding, but those who, not to hate on them, but <laughs> <laughs> everyone who does aerospace uh, is in it because they're really passionate about that. And that's something that is very prominent when you meet people in the aerospace industry, that passion really shines through. Um, and so, like I said, I met a NASA intern um, on Twitter, actually, um, and um, because I use Twitter as like kind of the science communication platform um, with the intention to, intentions of inspiring people, um, helping them understand what aerospace is really about. Um, so I met an, another NASA intern um, through there, and I'm watching her dog for her right now. <laughs> so um, it's really like a family. You know, the people you meet, you become very close to, and you share that passion for space travel and space exploration so i really like all my best friends are in the aerospace industry nice speaking of of continuing the space what what types of things would you like to do in the future do you have you know, do you have an aspiration to become an astronaut and to get up into space and you know, do the spacewalk and go to the international space station things like that are you you happy with your feet on the ground so to speak <laughs> I think it would be really amazing to go to space, but I think I would make a very bad astronaut. I get motion sickness. I think about the training, and I, <laughs> it scares me. Um, but I really aspire to be uh, like a project manager or someone in a leadership position at NASA. Um, I think maybe crazy dream goal would be to be the administrator. But um, so in like a leadership position, something where – um, you know, I, like, I'd like to see more women in leadership roles at NASA. Um, recently, I had an interview with NASA, and my interviewers were, it was three women, and um, it was surprising to me because all my other interviews for companies have, it's usually a man, um, and to see, you know, this phone call with four, four women, including myself, 
talking about engineering and NASA was like really, it was really great feeling. <laughs> good. I, I like to hear that. I like when people kind of are surprised in a good way about having expectations kind of shattered to a degree. What things about space aside from, you know, the, all the talk of going to Mars and, and getting the, the landers that we've had on there recently in history is for you, is it the, the fun part about problem solving and, and trying to figure out how to navigate through the Asher belt and, and get things further out so we can get more information to continue advancing to the Star Trek <laughs> that we see on TV? Yeah, I like I like to fantasize about like the potential to, you know, see what's going on in other galaxies and really gain a better understanding for that like stuff that's further and further out. I also like one thing I've been focusing on recently that I want to apply my engineering skills to is um more of um what we can do close to home. So um, orbital debris management and cleanup is something that I've become really passionate about. And it's something that I hope to research a lot more in graduate school. And I think that um, even though it's really exciting to think about traveling to other planets and, you know, starting to, you know, get astronauts on the moon again, putting them on Mars, I think that a large focus should also be put towards cleaning up that orbital debris. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes people forget that there are literally thousands of, you know, old satellites and debris floating around Earth, and it's really going to become a huge problem, especially as we try and put more satellites up there, like with Starlink. Um, and uh, so that's something that I hope to put my efforts towards. Um, it may not seem as exciting as going to Jupiter or something, but I think it's more important right now. Have you seen Wally? Yeah. So I, to, I think to your point, there, there's a couple things that I think that movie kind of really nails. Um, you know, the, the doom and gloom of, of what the potential future is if we don't take care of our planet. Um, but the, the scene when Wally leaves Earth and the spaceship literally breaks through that debris field that you were talking about. Um, what, from your knowledge and, and your experience so far, how do you think we can start reducing that debris field? I mean, from what I understand, things travel at an excessive rate of speed, so um, it sounds like a very complex thing. But how do you like? How do you start to to generate that idea of solving that problem? Yeah, there's a lot of um, different ways to approach it. Um, actually, this brings me back to the fellowship. Um, during the fellowship, we have a um, summit every year um, during the summer for the new class of fellows. And um, at each summit, there's a grand challenge. And this year, my team was presented with the grand challenge of the orbital debris problem. And we're meant to present a solution. And so I had to go through this brainstorming process. And, you know, we thought, you know, should we focus on picking up debris? If we're going to pick up debris, is it going to be small debris or large debris? Or should we focus on the other end of the spectrum, which is sending out um, a satellite that can do repairs and keep other satellites in um, orbit for longer, give, um, give them more lifetime. That also reduces the amount of orbital debris. And so um, that's something that I've been looking at a bit is um, 
a satellite that can do, you know, in-orbit manufacturing, repair, and orbital cleanup, um, something that can, um, you know, refuel other satellites or repair broken pieces so that they can continue their mission. Um, and then, the, yeah, but the uh, actually picking up the debris that's already out there and that cannot be fixed um, is very challenging considering um, – how fast it's going, is it going to cause damage to whatever satellite you're sending out there to pick it up? Um, so it's very complicated. Um, and I've been doing some research on the different NASA um, projects that focus on, you know, orbital debris tracking. Um, so I'm trying to gain a lot more knowledge so that I can come up with a <laughs> better solution. Well, I, I wish you a lot of luck to that, and I have very little doubt that you're, you'll eventually come to a, a workable solution. To throw a, another movie reference out there, I kind of imagine something like Mega Made from Spaceballs just sucking up all the debris around the Earth. <laughs> um, I I actually used to do security at a satellite manufacturing plant local to me here in New Jersey, and I was always amazed with the amount of science and the just kind of hearing some of the conversations of people walking through the hall and things like that. Um, I thought they would kind of be built a little quicker, but I didn't realize it takes like months. So you're, you're referring to having satellites uh, deployed that can do repairs and upgrades and things like that. Given the speed of how quick technology advances, I mean, it's almost like every six months stuff is antiquated. Um, I, I think your idea for setting something up they can rebuild and kind of quickly deploy and come back down would be probably the, a brilliant idea because instead of setting more stuff up, you're not polluting the, the sky as much um, by launching you know, the heavier masses. I think that is a, actually a pretty spectacular idea. In your Instagram, there's a picture with you and Bill Nye. Did you get the chance to talk to him? Did you just get your picture taken with him? You know, what, what is, what's Bill Nye like? So um, I met him at the International Astronautical Congress in uh, 2019 uh, because I was going there to present um, a paper and a presentation in the student conference, which I ended up winning first place for. So that was exciting. Um, but I thank you. I saw was with my uh, friends who were presenting with me and uh, we saw Bill and I just walk by um, and we just called out to him and we're like, Bill, uh, can we get a picture with you, please? Um, and we talked to him for a little bit. Um, he was obviously very busy. Um, and uh, so we took our picture with him, talked to him a little. I told him that, you know, he was an inspiration to me because I used to watch his um, TV shows and videos in my sixth grade science class um, all the time. And uh, so he walked away and then the next day we actually saw him walking down the hallway again and he said, Hey guys. So he remembered us. And <laughs> that was a really awesome moment. But are, are there other people that you look out to as, as idols and, and kind of want to emulate their success and, and their ideas and things? There's definitely, oh, there's a lot. I mean, I feel like everyone I meet in the aerospace industry is like very inspiring to me. Um, Emily Calandrelli is, uh, she has a TV show called um, uh, Emily's Wonder Lab, 
and it's on Netflix. It's like a TV show for young kids to get interested in science. So she's kind of like the female Bill Nye. Um, and she recently became a big part of the Brooke Owens Fellowship. Um, so she's now on our like executive team. And um, in addition to having, you know, her Netflix show for children and her books for children and being a part of the Brooke Owens Fellowship, she's also a huge science communicator. And she uses her huge platform to um, kind of like um, do what I'm trying to do is which is like reach out to people and um, kind of like end stigmas around, you know, science and technology and um, really work to educate people. So she's a big inspiration for me as I've built up my, um, my own Twitter and stuff. I kind of look to her as an inspiration for that um, because I think that the science communication is becoming increasingly important as people get, you know, their information from Twitter, Instagram, um, so she's definitely someone else who I'm looking, looking up to a lot recently. Well, I, I commend you to, to fighting the, the battle that I call the battle against stupidity. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I've noticed over the last you know handful of years that people, they, they just have this complete lack of understanding of how science really works and it's. It's infuriating, so I commend you on, on battling that. and Hopefully we can make some progress and, and get people to see, one, the love of enjoying science and how important it is, all the sciences, whether it's life science, uh, physical science, earth sciences. Um, I'm a huge proponent and believer that you know, we need to, to make some pretty dramatic changes to our environment and how we treat our planet because we only have one. Um, so I commend anybody that works to advance those those ideas and work to green energies and get rid of fossil fuels and things like that and repair things, <laughs> repair the uh, the, uh, the world. I'm gonna definitely have to tell my my kid about Emily's Wonder Lab. That sounds like something that's pretty spectacular to watch. <laughs> um, what other things about space and science fascinate you? I guess the unknown is the main thing, right? Like that's another thing that's super exciting to me about aerospace is we just, we don't know a lot. We we're working on it, but we don't know a lot what's out there about what's out there. Um, and that really fascinates me because um, every day you see the news and um, you know, I wrote in one of my fellowship essays about this, but uh, you know, sometimes it was, it's been hard for me to keep going as an engineer. When I went through my Title IX case, um, I really thought about giving up. Um, but one thing that pushed me was that every day there's something new and exciting in aerospace, and there's a new invention, there's a new idea, there's a new discovery, and that really um, pushes me to keep learning, um, keep going. And I know that what we know now is going to be, you know, crazy to think about in 50 years um, when we make so much, so many more advances. Um, and I think now is the perfect time to be in aerospace because we're really hitting the ground running with these advancements. You know, Elon Musk is like pushing us to keep going. And so turning that unknown into the known is what's uh, most exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I th there's, there's arguments on both sides and, and I'm not, sure where any of it falls but with the fact that we have people like elon musk really driving space exploration and, and uh, jeff bezos 
pushing for space exploration. Um, like you said, the what we know now as opposed to what was known 50 years ago is just almost mind-bogglingly different. I've always kind of found it funny that it, 1969 when we landed on the moon, and then let's like once we hit the moon, it's like all right, we did that, and now we're done, and things just kind of settled down. It was strictly for how to get a rocket from point A to point B faster so we can kill people and things like that. I I often wonder how much more advanced our space exploration and understanding of space and our universe would be if we kept that same drive to get to the moon to see further. Um, there's a satellite, or sorry, a, tele a telescope. It's either about to be launched or has been launched, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it because... That's the way my brain works sometimes. Um, Not the James Webb telescope? Yes, yes. Has that been launched yet, or is there, that's soon to go up? It's soon to go up. Okay. Um, what are your, your thoughts on or your understanding of, of what that's supposed to be going to look at? Honestly, a lot of people hate on the James Webb um, because it costs a lot of money and it took a lot of time, as is the case with many um, aerospace projects. But... It's, I think people sometimes forget how much different it is than the Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope observed um, kind of close to the Earth, um, and the James Webb is going so much further out, and it's going to be able to see so much further into the past. Um, and I really think that, to be honest, we don't even know, we can't even predict what the James Webb telescope is going to discover. Um, and... I'm just really excited to see what happens. I've been waiting on, I remember my freshman year of college in my aerospace 100 class, we had to write an essay on some spacecraft or some um, project. And I wrote mine on the James Webb telescope. And it's really exciting now that it's getting closer and closer to being launched. Um, it had to take so long uh, because it has these incredible mirrors and um, everything has to just be perfect. Um, and it is amazing to think about. There's also not just the engineering that was involved for the actual science on the telescope, but the telescope folds up, folds up so it can fit inside the rocket um, and then has to unfold in a certain amount of time so that things don't get too cold. And it's just amazing. It's just a, a huge feat of engineering, and I'm really excited for it. <laughs> Do you know when that's supposed to be launched? Uh, December? December 18th or something like that? Only it's the 16th, then it can be launched on my birthday and I'll be a happy camper. <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll see if it gets delayed. But <laughs> That's the, the thing that I, I laugh at. People get frustrated. Oh, well, they spent all this money and, and it, it, it's not going to really learn anything. But to me, that just speaks to their ignorance of, of how much we have learned from the Hubble and, and even from the telescopes here on, on Earth. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of learning. It's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is so I could talk to people and learn about various topics and things. Um, where is, is your, your shift away from science and stuff for a few minutes? Where's your dream place to, uh, to vacation? You, you, as I said, are clearly well-traveled around the world and I'm guessing I've been to Australia for your grandparents, but where's, where's kind of your dream place that either you've been to or have or want to go to? Um, I've never been to Asia. I've been to South America, Europe, Africa, and Australia, but I've never been to Asia, and I really just want to go to Japan one day. <laughs> what, 
what what kind of things do you do in your downtime? Uh, well, I definitely spend a lot of time with my animals. So I have a pet bird and a cat. Um, I also like to watch horror movies, which I have on my personal website. I have like a little horror movie reviews. Um, so that's a quick shout out huntharriet.com but um i haven't had a lot of downtime recently usually um because right now i um in addition to school i'm a teaching assistant a research assistant for two research groups um and uh doing a i'm a project manager for a tech project in uh, my club illinois space society so usually when i have free time i come home watch a movie with my bird on my shoulder <laughs> Uh, are you able to elaborate a little bit on to what some of these, these projects are that you're working on currently? Yeah. So, um, for the one that I'm a project manager for is called, um, NASA MicroG next. And it is a competition challenge hosted by NASA Johnson space center. Um, basically it's challenges undergraduates to design test and, um, manufacture a tool that can help astronauts in some way. So this year's challenge that we're participating in is um, the Apollo—it's uh, a bag dispenser for astronauts to use on the lunar surface um, to collect rock samples. So um, basically, our design is like it attaches to their tool belt, and um, each bag can be opened with one hand um, and uh, place, you know, up to like two pound rock in it. Um, and then they can seal it with these like metal tabs. Um, uh, it's not, it, what's interesting about these challenges is that it's aerospace, but it's not your typical aerospace project. It's not building a rocket. It's not trying to design a satellite. It's something that is important for the industry, but it, and still an engineering project, but it kind of gives you that unique skill set and background. Um, so I actually participated in the challenge my freshman year. Um, which was the project I uh, presented at the International Astronautical Congress. So now I participated in it freshman year, um, and now I'm project manager for it this year, so coming full circle, um, which is really awesome. And then for research, uh, I do research on magnetohydrodynamics for Mars entry vehicles, um, which is also known as MHD. Um, it's just kind of like, using plasma to create, um, to preserve energy for these Mars entry vehicles. Um, and then I'm a teaching assistant for a material science and engineering class, which is really fun. It's like the introductory material science class that all aerospace majors have to take. Um, so it's always fun. <laughs> material engineering, is that almost like alchemy to a degree of, of trying to find the right blend of basically creating new materials for space use? We usually talk about um, get a basic understanding. There's some part of it is a basic understanding of the chemistry involved um, on, on understanding why we have used certain materials um, and uh, yeah, looking at like what makes a metal different than a polymer or why are polymers the way they are, or, um, you know, how are defects in materials positive, um, stuff like that. Got it. Any words of wisdom before I give you your chance to kind of plug your, your Twitter and stuff? 
Um, if you're passionate about something, uh, you know, keep following that passion. I have failed a lot of classes. I've gone through my Title IX case. I've wanted to give up. I've had a bad GPA, but no matter what, I keep that passion in front of me, and that's what helps drive me to keep going. I love the fact that you mentioned that you had your failures because, to me, failure is, is one of the best teachers. It's that thing that kind of gives you those building blocks, and I think a lot of people look at failure as a as a negative, but I, by and large, see them as positives, learning experiences. Mm-hmm. So where can yeah. people <laughs> where can people find you? So my Twitter is hunt underscore Harriet, and then my Instagram is Harriet the Carrot. Uh, and then my personal website is huntharriet.com. It's just a Google website, but yeah. something people can follow you at. I will definitely make sure I put these on your uh, on the show notes. So I've I've had you for a little over forty minutes. I'm gonna throw some random questions at you that you can either answer or laugh at or pass on. So the first one: Would you rather be part of the Hawaii Five O Task Force or the A Team? Um, I don't know if I have an answer to that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Me, I grew up with, with kind of the old school Hawaii Five O and NDA team. So for me, I would rather be on the A team. They seem to do a little more globe traveling. Yeah. <laughs> the next question. Uh, would you rather see roller rinks or arcades make a comeback? Definitely roller rinks. Um, growing up, my friend in high school really loved to go to the roller rink and um we'd always as a group we'd be like oh Aaron wants to go roller skating again and uh, whereas one time we went and uh it was just a random Wednesday it turned out to be oldies night so they were playing really old songs like from the 50s and the 60s and there were a bunch of old people roller roller skating and it was just we were the youngest people in the in the group by like 50 years and it was hilarious (laughs) Uh, I'm right on, on par with you with that. I, I kind of miss roller rinks. Uh, we actually had two within relatively close driving distance to where I live, and now they're both gone, which is sad. Uh, a little more interesting question. Would you rather have invincibility or immortality? Honestly, I feel like I'd rather have immortality just because so many things in aerospace are going to take years and years, and I want to be able to see those things happen. <laughs> I love that answer. I think that's that's perfect answer, actually. Uh, I I don't know. I kind of toy with the – I get too logical with that, with the, the quote-unquote reality of immortality, of, of you know watching friends and come and go and things like that. So um, I think I'd rather be invincible. I do some crazy things sometimes, so knowing that I can do more crazy things without having to worry about being injured would be better. Um, would you rather be a 911 operator or an ambulance driver? And and for anybody that listens to this and, and hears me call it ambulance drivers, I'm going to amend that and say an EMT because as an EMT, hearing it called an ambulance driver kind of drives me a little nuts. So I'll rephrase the question. Uh-huh. Would you rather work as a 911 operator or as an EMT? A nine one one operator. I feel that I would be better at uh, communicating than driving. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually um, been a nine one one operator for a number of years before I became a police officer, and I've been an EMT. So I've been in both. So I'm just gonna say I've done both, and I far much more enjoy being an EMT. 
And the last question, deep dish pizza or thin crust? Come from somebody in Chicago. I think I know the answer, but I wanted to get you see what you say. <laughs> I might get shamed for this being <laughs> from Chicago, but I like thin crust better. <laughs> I, I am surprised. I thought you would go with the deep dish. Chicago's known for their deep dish. Um, I'm a thin crust person too, though. So <laughs> I got to agree with you on that. Um, I, th I thank you very, very much for your time. If you, any other parting words before we, we end this? No, just thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate your, uh, sharing your experiences with us and hopefully anybody who listens to this can, uh, be a little encouraged. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wish you the best on your, uh, your future endeavors and thank you again very much. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via our Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.